Welcome to TMBC's Comic Book Workshop, brought to you by Panel by Panel Magazine and our beautiful supporters on Patreon. I'm Jason Hammonds, a writer who also draws. And I'm Ken Heidelman, an artist who also writes. We're both making comics while still learning how to make comics. After digging through libraries, the internet, and fighting he who must not be named for his precious knowledge on making comics, we thought it might be a good idea to share our notes and hopefully help you make your own comics as well. All right, Jason, I know we've got an agenda of some kind. What is it? Oh, man, the agenda today is very simple, Kent. Uh, this is a, a one-interview episode because that one interview went so long and was so informative and juicy uh, that it just it deserved its own slot in this uh in, in, in this pantheon, in this uh, 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 oeuvre of comic book workshop episodes, um, there was a word I was trying to think of, but it really didn't hit me. I, I love it. I love it. I, I, in my heart of hearts, I always want every interview to be crazy long, but <laughs> it ends up being just like 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30, whatever it is. But when they're like an hour plus, yeah. 45 minutes plus, I'm like, yes, yes, because it just means usually you're getting tons of knowledge and having a good conversation and everybody's happy. So. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, it's, I'm excited. Uh, it's 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 a good interview. So this this interview is with Z Chun. Uh, if you don't know who Z Chun is, um, he's he's got a background in TV and film. So he wrote on uh, uh, shows like Gotham. Um, but uh, the the thing that's more relevant to our show is he is the. Uh, president co-publisher and a bunch of other great titles as well as writer uh for uh tko presents um which is a Ooh. new comic book publisher uh that has garnered a lot of attention on comic book social media uh because they have completely uh, uh done something entirely new and different in the comic book landscape uh with a brand new sort of release model and distribution model um they're a new publisher they they put out four books for their first wave uh two of them were written by z uh you also had a book written by garth ennis uh books with art by people like steve epting and and uh, dan mcdade like really really solid creative teams um on all these books and, and really exciting stuff they've got more coming out in the future from people like jeff lemire andy bellinger like tons of huge names in comics um and so i talked to z about what it takes to to you know bring about a new publisher where the idea came from where his fandom for comics came from um you know the differences in writing for tv versus writing for comics uh it was a, a really good interview and actually uh this is one that was uh done uh for panel by panel as well so if you check out uh this month's issue uh of panel by panel it's issue number 20 uh, you'll find this uh, the the written interview in there um, that's sort of you know edited down for clarity and for length. Um, but uh, what we're presenting here on our episode is the full, uncut, unedited audio of that interview. Um, the yeah, director's cut. The director's no rate, cut. Uh, unrated version. Yeah, it was nice. And I mean, as as you know, Kent, like a lot of a lot of the interviews we do, they're either at conventions or they're over Skype, you know, because a, you know, the comics industry is is spread across the globe and, and you know, people are all over the place. Um, this was one of the rare instances where uh, we actually just got to set, you know, sit down with someone face to face one on one without all the convention noise surrounding us without, you know, like Skype audio or whatever. And so it was it was nice to just like have someone, you know, to sit down and, and talk face to face for once because I don't get to do that too often. And so um i think it was it's a nice uh, treat i've done it i've done it once or twice and it's uh it's it's just like ooh, you just get to relax and talk comics That's yeah nice. exactly um because i think there's also a part of like i there's a thing that you consider like when you're when you're interviewing someone over skype where you want to make sure that like because everyone's always consciously aware of like oh maybe the connection's going to cut out or something like that and uh-huh. so i always try yeah. to be present you know audibly uh when we're talking yeah. to someone over skype we're all you know just like give like a little a little laugh or a little like 
word or affirmation like yeah yeah totally or something like that just so they know i'm still there um but yeah there's so much body language that you don't get when it's like and it just makes it so much better to do it in person exactly and so yeah it was one of those things where it's like you know you're able to have just a little bit more of a natural conversational flow and everything but um i think for for comic book creators and i think for the comics industry i think tko is a a really really interesting and unique and exciting uh thing and and z was really willing to go deep on on everything on his backstory on you know sort of how tko is structured the way they pay their creators the way they distribute the way they work with shops um and so this is a a meaty 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 uh interview that that really i mean there's so much great stuff in this one that that i'm i'm excited for you guys all to hear it so uh without further ado let's let's get into it with z chun TKO is is so new but so i i feel like you guys have dominated sort of the comic book kind of uh, uh, awareness, at least for the last, you know, I don't know, month since you guys launched. When did you yeah, guys launch? I think, it was, I think it's technically, technically six weeks ago. Six weeks. Yeah. How 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 much build up was it to that launch date that you guys, you know, kind of took social media by storm? Well, it was a couple years. You know, yeah. I mean, we we're obviously doing things differently. We're binge releasing our books. Yeah. And, you know, it takes a certain amount of time to put together. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, six issues of a comic. Totally. And the other thing is, you know, we wanted to give our artists enough time to do mm-hmm. the books. You know, mm-hmm. part of looking at the company binge releasing, you know, it was looking at like, well, is an artist doing their best work if they're yeah. doing 22, 20 pages every four weeks? And we said, maybe not. Maybe, maybe <laughs> give them a little more time than that. That seems yeah. hard. You know, so, um, yeah, it took a couple years. You know, it was a couple years of real planning and yeah. mapping stuff out and of course we were kind of secretive about it so of we course. you know we we didn't want to kind of show our hand before um yeah. before we really before you know, had everything to show absolutely you know? and i i admire the uh, the restraint that that took it feels like in comics people are rushing and i mean obviously this this is another you know an area where your business differs but people it feels like are always rushing to get into the previews catalog and like get the hype out there for it obviously the previews catalog is irrelevant with your guys business model yeah uh and so i i i just i admire the the difference in the comic book landscape and that's that's something that i think we'll talk about um but one thing you know if i were if i were a really talented storyteller or something like that then i'd probably like start right at the moment where you guys were at your lowest with this project <laughs> and then we rewind it back yeah. to the beginning and show how we got there but i am curious before yeah, we kind of like cold open you know <laughs> z chun running down a darkened alleyway sweat dripping down his head exactly you know exactly. if i don't do this the publisher's going yeah. under yeah 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 if i don't deliver these uh invoices um but but i am i am curious what was in in the, that two years developing this this uh uh, this entire line, what was the moment where you felt like you were the most unsure of, of if this was going to kind of work, if you guys were going to get this done? Um, I wish that there was a time where I don't think that I ever felt like it wasn't going to work or that we weren't going to be able to make a splash. Mm-hmm. There were just times where it was really hard. Yeah. Like it was just a lot of work, you know? Um, when I started this company with, you know, Sal Simeone, uh, our CEO and co-publisher, you know, I was, I was, I, I've always worked two jobs, maybe three while yeah. I was putting this company together. And so it was just a lot. Uh, I remember there was, there was just, there were 
there was two weeks. Uh, I've actually, in terms of lowest points, yeah, there were two weeks where I remember every day of those two weeks were the hardest work days I had ever had in my entire life really? up until that point. And then, and then I did that for you know a couple more years, <laughs> you know. But you know, I, it, one of the hardest things was truly keeping this a secret because I was yeah. so excited about it. I'm sure, everyone was. You know, Sal. My co-founder was so excited about it. Yeah. Cara McKenney, who does you know our creator outreach and talent relations. You know, Sebastian Gurner, our editor in chief. Yeah. Like, we you know we've been sitting on this for two years, mm-hmm. and it was so gratifying to actually you know post that thread on Twitter and just seeing people like excited about someone doing something new in comics. Totally, absolutely. Uh, and I and I want to touch on a lot more of that in terms of the business model. But I think now now is the time we've had our opening credits and our teaser before mm-hmm. that. So now we got to go back and really show yeah. the where it got. But but so where <laughs> where did you come from? I mean, what what was your upbringing? When did you first get a, you know in touch with comics? Uh, you know, I, actually, what was the first comic you ever read? Do you remember what it was? I'm not. A, you know, I think it was probably. Um, one of those like introduction to Marvel comics okay. uh, that they used to sell at like they, they, it's called BJ's, but it's like a, <laughs> like it's Costco basically, but for yeah. whatever it's, it has the, it's, it's a terrible name for a company. <laughs> I, I know but, there was a gas yeah, station yeah, around my yeah. So, but they would name? sell all these like discount comics that were like mm-hmm. remainders. I think it was probably one of those like an introduction to the Marvel universe. Okay, um, and then also probably like. Uh, the Marvel Handbook, you oh, know, yeah. and and not like starting from number one, just like whatever one I found that was like Black Bolt to mm. like you know Thunderbird or something. <laughs> um, but I actually, so I I grew, I was I was born in the U.S. I was born mm. in Chicago, and then my family moved to outside of Boston. Okay, um, and I actually like. I had, a, I had asthma when I was really yep, young, and so I spent a lot of time at home, and I always loved drawing. Yeah. And so when I found comics, I was like, oh, I can draw, but I can also tell a story. Yeah. And so comics were really, truly my first love. Like, from the time I was 11 or 12 to 16, like, all I wanted to do was be a comic book writer and a comic book artist. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I think, whether it was um, subconscious or not, you know, it was the era of Wizard Magazine. You're starting to see behind the scenes of like, how do, you know, how do comics get made? Who are the people mm-hmm. behind them? Yeah. And seeing people like Jim Lee, Jay Lee, Will Spertacio, like seeing uh, Asians making um, artwork and telling stories and being yeah. in that position to really, you know, um, reach their audience. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I hadn't seen that in any other type of American media. And I think... Yeah there was something really empowering about that. And so, you know, it was just something I threw myself into, you know, I would, would draw every night and whenever possible, I would go to like the Boston convention yeah. scene and show my artwork and my little like portfolio and stuff. Incredible. Um, but I just loved it. I, I mean, I just loved, I loved every, I mean, I loved, I loved going to comic book stores. I mean, my, my local comic book stores were new England comics and Quincy mm-hmm. and million year picnic. And like, I was brought up with, with a single mom and yeah. you know a lot of times after school she would just kind of drop me off there and yep. I spent hours upon hours you know in those places kind yeah. of browsing that do I I I know that uh that origin story yeah. that's it's very similar <laughs> with me I didn't grow up in the east coast but but definitely very similar my uh my dad, like, we would have those, um, you know, I mean, because you, you grew up in a single-parent household. Did you have, like, visitation nights with your with your other parent, or was it, was it just no, it was No, it was good. It was, they had a good relationship, so yeah. I would go over and, you know, spend weekends with my dad, and then totally. eventually he, he moved to Hong Kong, and, you know, we oh, would wow. visit him there. But, 
Yeah, you know, and it was, and he lived in Quincy, so it was like there, there was a comic book shop there, which was nice. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. That was the same thing. My dad would have like a, he would sometimes have conflicts on like the visitation night. Like I'd be over at his house on like a Wednesday night mm-hmm. or whatever, and he'd be like, he'd like forget about it, and so he'd schedule a date for that night or something. Uh-huh. And then he'd just like give me five bucks and tell me to go find something to do. And I quickly found there was like a comic book store around the corner from his apartment. Awesome. And I, it was the first time I'd ever seen comics, you know, so I saw it in the window and I like knew the cartoons. So I'd like, I, I figured out at the time, at least not true anymore, but at the time five bucks was just enough to get me like a bottle of Mountain Dew and a comic book, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so just go and like sit there and, and, you know, browse through, finally buy like an issue of Teen Titans or whatever and go through. Yeah. It's a fun time. That's some, uh, I mean, I do think that there's something interesting about like, the people who found comics in that time in their life, too. I feel like I'm really glad that I came to it in that really... I mean, it sounds like you did, too. That formative... Those formative years Mm -hmm. where, like... Right before you're you're, a teenager. Yeah, you're, like, learning certain things about your feelings and you're kind of processing them by reading these books about people who are going through these changes in their own lives. Mm -hmm. And obviously... Neither of us developed power. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. we wouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah, but, totally. You know. yeah. We're doing some <laughs> kick-ass stuff right now. <laughs> Sitting behind a desk writing shit. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I totally hear you. Yeah, and especially, I mean, I think that's why like comics, especially like Teen Titans and X-Men, really took off with a lot of kids and Spider-Man mm-hmm. as well, right? It's such a, yeah. a young voice of these kids. At least for me, like with Teen Titans, it was a lot about that. It was Jeff John's Teen Titans run that I, that I first read, and it was like all about legacy, you know, and like sort of living up and, mm-hmm. and like trying to figure out where you fit into this sort of puzzle that like all of the adults had laid out for you, you know. And so it's, yeah, there's something like yeah. very kind of omnipresent about that when you're in at that age. It's really interesting. Uh, of those, because, you know, you talk about Wizard Magazine and the Image Founders, obviously it sounds like you, you know, came up right around that time when comics were in this very exciting, mm-hmm. energetic place. Do you have a favorite um, image founding book? Like, were you, were you big into the, those books, or was it more kind of their Marvel stuff that you followed? Um, it was a lot of their image stuff. You know, I thought that there was, the, you know, the artwork was so exciting. You know, it was a new company. Yeah. You know, and it was around that time I feel like I was reading a lot of those first image books, you know, some of those Valiant mm-hmm. books. Um, but I went through phases where I would try to just read everything by one author like I really got into Frank Miller at that time and you know just being able to kind of follow him through his different actually I'm one of my uh most like vivid memories of showing my portfolio to anyone was actually Frank Miller Frank Miller Miller, really what did he say so you know I was so excited I I was probably like I th- must have been like 12 years old. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you had a portfolio yeah. of 12. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. I was always like pretty like, I was like, I think I was just like, I th- I've seen older people do this. So yeah. I'm just going to do this too. So I had like a That's portfolio amazing. of like, you know, what must have been like moronic drawings, you mm-hmm. know? And uh, it was, it was at the, he had, he had a signing at the million year picnic in Cambridge. And my mom drove me there and she came into the store with me. There's this long line. And I showed Frank Miller my drawings, and he was, like, so sweet. Really? Really nice. Like, actually gave me, like, notes. Like, really? Like, well, you know, the proportions here are a little bit off. Like, he was really um, generous. Yeah. And then as I, was, he, I had him sign my Sin City, and as I was walking away, he grabbed my mom's arm and was like, oh, by the way, he's way too young to read this book. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, like, I was like, oh, my God, Frank Miller totally narked on me. <laughs> And God bless my mom. She like we walked outside, and she uh, she looked at Sin City. She was uh, like, "Oh, it's black and white. You can't see any of the nudity." And I was like, "Oh, this is amazing. That's um, incredible." But um, but yeah, one thing I want to say is like, 
I was thinking, I've been thinking about this a lot recently, mm-hmm. but one of the th- most inspiring things is that um, you know, my mom was really not like a normal Asian American mm-hmm. parent, like the mm-hmm. stereotypical ones where it was really like anything I wanted to do, she would always support me. Yeah. And, I, and I, I think back on this one day, I remember I was probably around that age, 11 or mm-hmm. 12, was when I first started really getting into comics. Yeah. And it was like a Saturday and she cut out the... I woke up and she brought me... She had cut out the comic book stores from the yellow pages. And she was like, we're going to go to every single one of these stores that's today. Incredible. And we spent like six hours going oh like all around the Boston area. And that's where like I was like, oh, there's like a whole network of stores and there's a community here yeah. and there's books that... You know, I, I didn't. I don't think I had ever known that there were that many comic books in the in mm-hmm. the world. You know, oh, yeah. Um, so that was like a real education for me. That's incredible. I, I mean, that that's the the. I think with this, especially this type of pursuit, you know, going into something creative and and obviously, a a type of pursuit that is so uh, volatile, like like a creative one. I think sometimes it does require having at least some support there that's like, yeah, I'll, I'll like, you know, if you really like this, I'll help you get yeah. there, you know? Or you, or the flip side is everyone just has to be super, super mean <laughs> to you. And then you just have to put it all into your artwork. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You got to filter it all out. That's funny. I, I did, um, I was out in Boston, uh, last year to shoot some footage and that's, it's always, anytime I go to a new place, it's always like the first thing on my agenda is to see like what the comic book stores are like over there. And I can't remember the name of the one I went to. I think I have their cards somewhere, but like, the stores I went to two stores while I was out there, and they were both pretty awesome. Like, there's Comicopia there. Okay. There's, um, I mean, New England Comics has a few different stores, okay. and they also, I mean, honestly, it's like it's so cold in Boston. Like, I just remember like taking shelter in yeah, those stores, of course. Um, but there's a lot of great comic book stores sure. in Boston. Um, so, so moving forward, obviously, you at the age of twelve, were, you already had the sort of like dedication to put together full like portfolios and and stuff like that. Uh, when did you? Because obviously, it sounds like you, you started with drawing, right? Like you were inspired by that. When did um, writing as a pursuit in of itself kind of enter into your world? I mean, I think when you're a kid and you're that young, you just think, well, like, I guess I'll just do everything because I yeah. don't even know that those are two separate jobs. That's true, yeah. Know? That's true. Um, and I think it was probably around the time that Image was taking off, and so it was just kind of this, like, the writer was also Everyone's the artist, there. you know? Yeah, totally. Um, but I guess I probably had to teach myself to write. Like, I was probably less natural. I was probably less natural as yeah. a writer. Um, and in some ways, that has always been how things have gone for me. Like mm-hmm. I, I eventually transitioned into doing indie film and I, yeah. I think I was probably a better director than I was a writer. Interesting. But I knew that it, I couldn't make it just as a director. Yeah. So I had to learn how to write uh, and really yeah. like, you know, sit down and I mean, there was just a time where I was like, well, if I'm lucky, I get to direct a movie every few years so yeah. writing is something i can actually sit down and do every day absolutely absolutely and you you ended up going to film school right i went to so there was a moment in okay. high school where i started getting really into indie film yeah and um i remember like looking at like the two paths way two pathways yeah. like comic books and indie film and being like you get to pick one of these like really hard things to uh. do so i picked independent film um i went to columbia undergrad which is really just film studies. It's not like film production. Of course. Um, wrote papers and watched movies for four years and did my own projects. Oh, and yeah. um, 
I didn't go to grad school. Uh, basically, it was I looked at how expensive it was mm-hmm. um, and the amount of time it would take, like you know, three to five years. Yeah. And I just made a schedule for myself. Um, I decided I was going to direct, write and direct a no-budget short film every six months and then write wow. a feature film every nine months. Wow. So I did that for three and a half years. Wow. Um, I painted um, oil portraits of, like, families and kids uh, yeah. and, uh, for money, like, like portrait commissions and DVD, like, DVD production, like, you know, like, copying individual DVDs, like, yeah. for... Columbia events, you know, like <laughs> webinars and seminars and stuff yeah. to make money. And, um, yeah, I made 11 short films before the first one got into Sundance. Wow. And that short film, like, it was, it was made for a budget of 600 bucks. Holy shit. It cost us twice as much uh, to step it up to HD. Mm-hmm. I mean, for I mean that really ages me. But yeah, it was <laughs> it was like an SD camera. Of course, we shot it in my childhood home. My mom is in the movie. Wow. It's called Window Breaker. Um, but that was my first short that was in any major festival, and that was really the first time I met anybody in the film industry. Yeah, um, and it still took a number of years to like get a foothold. When did you uh, When did you move out to Los Angeles? 2012. 2012. Okay. Yeah. Had, had you already? Um, obviously, you'd done a bunch of uh, you know shorts and, and and like you shot a lot there. You had a lot of experience actually making films. Mm-hmm. Uh, was there a connection that brought you out here? Was there a job that you were coming out for? What was it that uh, officially brought you here? You know, I I had written for TV for about six months in 2007. Oh, okay. uh, I wrote for a TV show called Cashmere Mafia. Okay. Um, which was a great job. Um, it's very different from everything else I've done. It's still like the IMDb credit that like confuses people the yeah. most. But you know, I really liked the people that I worked with on that show. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked that. You know, I, I, I don't know if you've experienced this, but you know, you, you spend so much time. I spent so much time outside of all these industries that once yep. I like peeked inside, I was like, oh look, like that is a Dude. room you can go into. And write stories and then get paid. Yep. <laughs> you know, I I quit a very successful and fruitful job just to go and be a PA, a costume PA on a TV yeah. show. Like I, yeah, absolutely. It's like oh, the, the, that's like a that's that's amazing. That actually exists. I, <laughs> you know, I've always you know I, I just didn't I didn't fully believe it until I saw it. So yep. Um, so I had been working in indie film. I had written and directed my first feature that had um, gone to Sundance, um, won a t- ton of festival awards, but. You know, it's hard to transition from a small indie Sundance movie to something yeah. that is, you know, studio screenwriting or television. Of course. What I, what I, it's, it, it was really interesting to me how siloed each individual part in the entertainment industry was. And every time I tried to do an additional thing, I had mm-hmm. to start from the bottom again. Mm-hmm. So, um, in terms of timing, 2011, I got married. Uh, wow. October of that year, my wife told me she was pregnant, and I wow. said, I don't know how to do New York City uh, as an indie filmmaker. No, yeah. um, And I just kept on thinking, like, what I need to do is get more experience, become a better writer, and the place where I can do that and is television. Yeah, it's your call to adventure, yeah, yeah. So um, I booked my ticket out here. She came and met me a couple months later, and... You know, we it was it was a it was a really crazy first couple of years out here because we had our yep. first first two kids, and you know it was it was hard to start from the bottom sure. and it was hard to get that first job. You Did know? you feel like uh, without almost the motivating factor of having to provide for your family? Do you feel like without that it it might have ended up differently? Do, do you think almost that you needed that to to find that success you did? I think so. I mean, I think that there's 
I think that when I was starting, I was, you know, I just turned 30. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I got married that, that next year. Mm-hmm. And there was a feeling that in the independent film world, like, you can stay in your 20s forever. It yep. could feel like that. You're going out around to film festivals. And, and also part of it was after going to a bunch of film festivals and meeting people who were in the independent film world, um, I didn't want to just create two hours of story yeah. every four years, you know, and that's just the pace that that world moves in, you mm-hmm. know? So I wanted to do more. I wanted to come out here and I wanted to, and it's not a value judgment on any medium. I just personally, I, I saw the ability to, to come out here, yeah. contribute to 22 hours of storytelling every year yeah. and to be able to do that for, you know, I, I wanted that experience, that turnaround, getting notes and learning from people who are, you know, more experienced than I was in a writer's room. Yeah, well, and, it, and it puts you on the grindstone in a way, I think, you know, like having that repetition, having to just get it out and keep going, it, it sharpens you, I feel like, yeah. as a writer, you know. Um, that's really interesting, and there, there's a lot of a lot of interesting points uh, uh, in what you just talked about that if this were a film or television podcast, I would really try and, like, right. go into. Uh, but since it's about comics, I'll, I'll keep it going. Um, um, maybe we'll save that for another time. But... Uh, so when obviously you 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 know you write on on TV for how many years? I mean, you started writing on TV in 2012, I guess, after that initial show in 2007. Um, at what point did you get the itch to kind of go into comics to to explore that? Well, you know, I was on Once Upon a Time for for two years, yeah. and that office is actually really close to House of Secrets oh, in it's Burbank. A great store, great store. And I found myself, you know, one of the really nice things about Once Upon a Time was. Um, we would have these like hour and a half long lunch breaks. So I was oh, like, cool. Oh, well, I'll, I'll, I don't want to get in my car. I'm not a great driver. You know, I'll probably be dead at the end of the year <laughs> if I drive somewhere every, every, every day after lunch. So, uh-huh. um, I'll just, I'll walk over to house of secrets. You know, I haven't really consistently gone to a comic book store mm-hmm. for a long time. Yeah. So we go there every day and I was looking, looking around and it was really, um, I had been to certain things like Comic-Con and WonderCon and, and, and going to House of Secrets. I was looking around at the people and it was, there was a different energy to yeah. the fan base yeah. of comics than I'd ever seen before. And there was also a different energy in the books themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt that um, even within the, uh, the superhero stuff, but a lot of the creator-owned stuff, like I had never seen... I, I, I honestly, it was just that the comics were better and more interesting to me than I had ever seen mm-hmm. them before. So I just started thinking about it more and more. And um, at that time, actually, uh, I was... So on Once Upon a Time, you, mm-hmm. you co-write all your episodes. Um, it's kind of the lost model where you, you get paired with another writer and you write half the script and they write half the script. Got it. Interesting. And I was paired with this guy, Scott Nimmerfro, mm-hmm. who... Um, <clears throat> was really a good friend and he and I co-wrote I think three scripts together and then that was the first year and we actually also always talked about like okay well maybe like he wanted to write a creator own series I wanted to write something in comics I wanted to come back into it and then between the first and second year of Once Upon a Time um, he got cancer and he passed away uh, by by the end of that second year yeah and I just remember thinking um, you know I, I I I was very thankful for the job. I, I had a great time working there, but at the same time, I missed hustling and trying to put something together on my own, which was something that I'd done a lot in indie film. Yeah, and seeing 
you know, one of my best friends on the show kind of like pass away. I was kind of like, I can't really wait. I can't wait for there's, I think it, when you're, it was the first time I had been, first of all, like financially comfortable ever yeah. in my life. And I think that there was a certain degree where I enjoyed that the first year. But in that second year, I think I was just like, I can't sacrifice wanting to do something on my own for this kind of financial stability. I have yeah. to like, I can't wait to follow whatever, to just try to do what I, I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that time, um, I had reconnected with um, a kind of friend and mentor who was um, uh, this guy, Salvatore Simeone. Yeah. Um, he, I'm, you know, his, his son has been one of my best friends since I was 14 or 15 years wow. old. And um, he, he was always kind of like, listen, I believe in what you d- you're doing. I think mm-hmm. you're really talented. If you ever want to make a movie, you yeah. know, I'll invest in your movie. And I was like... Please don't do that. <laughs> that's, a, that's a terrible investment. Yeah. And, but we, I always wanted to work with him because, like, he was really like a friend or me- and mentor. Like, he, he's a working class guy from Brooklyn, um, created, a, you know, at this point, like a billion dollar software company wow. from nothing, you know. Um, really incredible business mind and also really like creative guy as well. Yeah. And I think. You know, growing up working class, when I met him and his family, I was like, oh, this is like a different type of like successful person than I've ever met before. Yeah. So I kind of locked in because I was like, you know, my mom, we were financial aid kids at a really good private school, Milton. Yeah. And, you know, that was a sacrifice for my mom to even of have course. to pay um, that tuition. Absolutely. But it was a different type of, those parents were different types of successful parents. It just felt different. Yeah. And I could tell that this person had really been a survivor and really had like these you know he must have had like a keen intellect and like sixth sense for business yeah so we had always talked about maybe doing something together and i just felt that comic books were the place where you could actually like in the entertainment industry is a gig- it's just a behemoth you know there's Dude. so many moving parts mm-hmm. when i started looking at the comic book industry i thought to myself well there's actually the ability for two people to make a big difference here if we yeah. surround ourselves with the right team. Yeah. Which is why, you know, we brought on Cara McKenney and Sebastian Gurner. Yeah. And that was kind of the core group when we first started um, mm-hmm. reaching out to creators and putting the company together. Um, but, yeah, it was like... <laughs> I, <talked to laughs> Sal, I mean, it, it sounds crazy now that I think about it, but like... I talked to Sal about the company. Yeah. He was like, that sounds cool. Can you write something up? Then I like Googled like how to write a business proposal. <laughs> <laughs> and then I wrote like a wow. hundred page business proposal that wow. was like, had a lot of the core components of what we ended up doing with the company. Yeah. And then when I pitched to Sal, he had a whole host of things as well. And the combined, you know, the creative side of things, which are really, mm-hmm. you know, that circle is, my part of the Venn diagram and his side is the business side of things, but there is yeah. a lot of overlap in the middle. Interesting. So when, when you're putting that together, was there a big um, research stage for you where you were kind of putting together like what the gaps in the comic book industry were that you, that you would fill or did you kind of already have those in your mind? I think it was, you go into it with a hypothesis yeah. and then you start uncovering some of the things. Sometimes your hypothesis is contradicted and some of times it's reinforced. Of course. But, you know, there's a lot of nitty-gritty in terms of the way that we put this stuff together. Yeah. But, like, the 
really the three questions, like this is like, this is really how we thought of it. Like the three questions that we asked ourselves Mm -hmm. in at every turn of this were, you know, is this good for the fans? Is this good for the creators? And is this good for comics? Mm. And those were the three places where we really wanted to, you know, improve things. And those were kind of the guiding Mm. principles. And once those were kind of in our head as like a company philosophy, Mm. a lot of the decisions we made were almost like common sense, you know, Um, which seems strange because so many of these things are new. But, you know, we were doing it because we felt that there was the opportunity here to create a new type of comic book company, a modern comic book company that would serve the fans, would, you know, make creators happy um, creatively and financially. And also, you know, I mean, we're here for the same reason. We Mm -hmm. both love comics, you know, and we want this art form to continue to be able to, like, succeed and to Mm -hmm. be passed on to our children. And it's like, that to me was important. And that's why we have gone around some of the traditional ways of doing things. Of course, of course. So when when looking at the market, and, and you know, there's a, a few ways that you guys differentiate yourselves. Um, obviously, from a from a business perspective, uh, and from a publishing perspective, you you subvert Diamond. You you don't go through Diamond Distributing. Mm-hmm. You guys uh, self distribute, and it's all sort of a, a um, you know people contact you directly to order the the comics. Uh, first off, I mean, what what is What's your opinion of Diamond Distributing? I mean, you know, being honest, you're, you're one of few people subverting that, that yeah. part of the business. What's your opinion of Diamond? I mean, I understand why they exist. Mm-hmm. You know, um, from a creator standpoint, one of the very earliest things was, you know, I, I was thinking about the different ways we could go about this. Yeah. And just as a creator, knowing that I would be in the back of the catalog as a little thumbnail, you mm-hmm. know, that was not attractive to me. Yeah. You know? Um and, you know, you can publish your book through image. Listen, there's, there's many, many, many reasons why yeah. Diamond exists. Of course. We just, I just felt that we had the infrastructure um, to do it ourselves, yep. you know, within the company. Um, and because we had that infrastructure, there was no real reason to go through Diamond, mm-hmm. you know. Um, we could take their cut and pass it on to the stores directly. Yeah. And we also wanted to be... I mean, it comes down to control. Like, we yeah. want it to be in control. We want it to be in control of, you know, fulfillment, making mm-hmm. sure that we can, you know, we know that we can do that in a really efficient way. Yeah. And we also want to put the vendors in control. Like, mm-hmm. the fact is that we've been around for six weeks. Mm-hmm. And when vendors order from us, you know, they can get their books back in two or three days. So they're yeah. completely in control of the schedule. Yeah. You know, there, there are vendors who have ordered twice from us they've mm-hmm. entered vendors who have sold out and ordered three times from us and they've wow. gotten three different shipments within those six weeks wow. and the vendors don't have to over order they can be really um conservative if, yeah. they, if you don't think you can sell a hundred books then mm-hmm. yeah you can just buy as many books as you think you can really conservatively sell we're not going to yeah. try to make you over order and then when you sell out you have a better idea yeah. you know and Going around Diamond, honestly, is one of the reasons why we can give the deal that we give, which is 50% off cover price, and wow. we pay for free shipping. Yeah. You know? Um, and it really was, from the point of view of both us and also putting myself in comic bookstores' shoes, mm-hmm. like, we wanted them to have the opportunity to, like, 
not have to be afraid when they're ordering. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, absolutely. Like, really, like you can order four books, see how mm-hmm. they do, see how people like them, and know that if you sell out of them, you can have, can have them way. back in your store in yeah. three, four days. So um, that is the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah, no, and that's, that's and interesting. Philosophically, like, yeah. I don't think that any art form should just have a single way of reaching its audience. Yeah. Um, I don't think that it provides, and I would say this if it was anybody in any art form, like of course. I, I just don't think it facilitates healthy competition. Mm-hmm. I don't think it um, incentivizes uh, a distributor to do things better or to really like bring in new audiences in the way yep. that there would be if there was healthy competition. And, Absolutely. you know, I, uh, again, like, I love comics. I, I want. I wanted to. I want. You know. And part of the philosophy of this company was like, we know it's not the stories yeah. that are inaccessible to people. Yeah. Those stories are adapted into film and TV and yeah. reach millions upon millions of people, and you know, many many times more than the comics themselves do. Mm-hmm. So we know that the stories are things that people are interested in. Yeah. What is the choke point that is stopping those that this medium from reaching its audience? Yeah. And those are a lot of the choke points that we tried to tackle, you know, in our business model. Yeah, no, I, and, and I, that's one of my favorite things. I mean, I, listeners of this show, um, especially our patrons where they get behind the paywall and they really hear my opinions, but, uh, (laughs) they, they they, you know, they, they've heard me rail against diamond quite a bit. You know, I, 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 you know, genuinely not, not to side with the, uh, the witness here, but, Mm -hmm. but I, I do genuinely think that like, especially in the modern comics landscape, diamond is the root of all evil right now. I mean, they're, they're stifling the reach of comics. You know, there was, there was a, a time, and I think the, the largest growing point for comics was, you know, the, the, or at least the largest growing point for comics readership, you know, if, if we take out the, the speculator boom, right, where people were buying right, them not right, to read right. them. But for comics readership, the largest grow, growing point was parents at a grocery store who just wanted to shut their kid up. Right. (laughs) You know, they're just like, fine, whatever, buy that thing. It'll shut them up. I can do my thing and then they'll be good. Right. They'll just read this and stay quiet for a bit and not ask me for all the cereal. Uh, and so, you know, there, there was the only reason really that comics aren't still on the end caps of grocery stores and in the magazine rack at any store you go to is because of the distribution model, you know? And so it's like, there's, there's a thing that is keeping them, as a niche, right? Like yeah. there's like almost no other form of entertainment of, of, you know, reading or, or watching or any type of visual entertainment like that, that is as specialized and hyper-specific in its distribution as comics is. And so, yeah, I, that was the first thing that attracted me to TKO was seeing the, the different um, approach there. Oh, man, sorry to cut in here in the middle of that uh, great, great answer to what was probably a mediocre question, but uh, we're just going <laughs> to pay some bills and, and uh, uh, you know, get the get the ads out of the way, and then we'll jump it right on back to uh, to that interview with Z. So uh, let's let's get it started with the magazine that, uh, that brought this interview about in the first place. It's Panel by Panel Magazine. Um, it's my favorite magazine on the world, Kent. I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about it or anything like that, but uh, I'm a big fan of, of Panel by Panel magazine. 
Yes, I have, and I, I hear you're you're buying the company soon. Is that correct? <laughs> yep, yeah? yep. I'm my I'm changing my name as well. My name is going to be Jason Jason Panel by Panel. It's a weird name, but uh, <laughs> it, it's legally binding. Um, and Hass has agreed that uh, he's going to sell everything to me for five dollars. Uh, it makes sense. I mean, that's just good business. That's it's, good business. Yeah, it's good business, and and Hass is is too smart to uh, walk away from a good deal. Um, no, it is it is the magazine that is uh, edited by Hassan Otsman Elhow, who is a uh, an amazing letterer on comics, and you also probably know his uh, incredible YouTube channel, Strip Panel Naked, where he analyzes comics. Uh, panel by Panel is just another platform that he he chooses to uh, sort of unleash his insanely analytical views uh, and, and insights into comics. Um, this month's issue, issue number 20, features this interview that you are listening to right now with Z Chun, uh, but it also features the creative team of the uh, new comic Word, uh, Kurt Pyers, Antonio Fuso, Stefano Simeon, uh, and Micah Myers, as well as a bunch of interviews and essays, uh, you know, obviously mine with, with Z Chun. Uh, there's also, uh, we've got uh, Andrea, or Andrea Ares, uh, joins for sort of this uh, essay on, on some, you know, favorite comics and stuff like that. Um, Hass talks about David Lapham's uh, Stray Bullets number 10. Um, and there's also a uh, craft corner with uh, Tom Lake, who uh, makes comics like uh, Near Death Flying Turtle and Stomp on Me. Um, so you can. That is dense. It is dense, just like every single issue of, of, uh, of Panel by Panel. And you can get all that for $2.50. So make sure you head on over to panelxpanel.com and check out that issue and many more. Uh, Kent, I know you've got a comic that you made, so let's talk about it. Let's make sure those people know what it is. Speak the truth so they can go check it out. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm Kent Heinelman, and I uh, wrote and drew a comic. It's called Scariest and Screamforth. It's about three kid monsters in a monster town trying to solve a mystery. It's spooky, cute, fun. You'll have a lot of fun reading it. You'll enjoy it. Uh, it's young adult, but uh, it's great for everybody. I'm in my 30s, and I wrote it for me. So, uh, you know, check it out. It's You can read it for free at scariestinscriptfort.com. So, yeah, just uh, go head on over there and uh, read, my, read my stuff. Hell yeah. Jason, you got a, you got a comic yourself, actually. It's a... Uh, you finally put it out in the world. Uh, what, what is it? Tell, oh, tell yeah. us about it. I've got a. It's a. It's a. It's a four-page mini comic. Uh, maybe I'll continue it later on. Maybe I won't. But I'm. I'm kind of in the middle of doing. A I think series. you should. I, I might. Like we'll one see. of my favorite things you've ever written. <laughs> um, I think it is my favorite thing you've ever written. No if, offense to other stuff, but <laughs> it's. It's currently my favorite. If you listened to 112 on, on the show, uh, episode 112, um, you heard us talk about uh, doing short stories, and, and uh, this is the first uh, short story in, in what's probably a series of them that I'll be doing, whether or not they're connected to this. Um, but uh, the comic that uh, that I put out is called Boat Hard. Uh, it's about a character named Eyepatch McForce, who uh, wears two eye patches and sees with his fists. Um that's uh, that's all I'm going to tell you. It's it's I call it boat hard because it's like kind of like die hard on a boat, except uh, not that. Uh, there's <laughs> there's a there's a lot of little differences. You can if you if you read closely and pay attention, you'll notice the subtle differences between die hard and boat hard. Uh, they can be tough to miss, but I think the keen eye will catch them. Uh, so you I think can, people are going to be debating it for years to come for on the differences between years. Oh. Boat hard and die hard. Yeah, there's there's going to be professors, uh, scholars, you know, even digging digging through all the. Uh, the subtext 
Um, but yeah, if you head on over to uh, Instagram.com uh, and look me up, my uh, username is Jason Halftones. You can also uh, find me on Twitter at Jason Halftones. I posted the comic for free on uh, both of those uh, both of those sites, so you can check it out either place. Uh, if you want to see the full pages uh, in full res, then Twitter's better. If you want to see it uh, sort of in a panel by panel breakdown, then you can go over to Instagram. Either way, it's Jason Halftones, and you can read it there. Kent, how can these people patronize Jason. us? You can patronize us a bit by going to patreon.com forward slash TMBC workshop. That is the Patreon for this very podcast that you're listening to. Uh, it helps to, you know, help us pay the bills a little bit. It uh, takes a little moolah to get us to drive to conventions and mm-hmm. buy those passes or however it is we're getting there. Uh, <laughs> a little, maybe a little snacky snack. Uh, oh, yeah. But yeah, we uh, you can go to head, head over to our Patreon and. There's different platforms. You get little different rewards. One of them is a shout-out on this show with your name. Uh, lots of cool ways to support us. But uh, that's one of the best ways. You can head on over there at Patreon. It's a great way to support us. Absolutely. Just a few of the benefits that our patrons get. Uh, we Each episode on this show comes out first on Patreon, usually around two days right. before, uh, before it comes out on the main feed. Uh, early also, release. Early release. And then we also have patron-exclusive episodes uh, uh, where we have a uh, another podcast we do called The Break Room, where Kent and I just kind of talk about what we've been up to and things we've been reading, watching, stuff like that, and just have kind of a, a shooting-the-shit conversation, if you will. Um, and that is exclusive to our patron uh, or our Patreon patrons. Um, that one's uh, that one's honestly, I'm gonna cut in here. That one's a lot of fun. Uh, it's, I have to hold back a little bit on the show because not because it's like, oh, we want to run a second one, just because we're trying to be so focused yep. on the podcast and trying to talk about making comics. But there's a whole world of enjoying comics that's kind of a separate thing that we don't really have time for on the mm-hmm. show. We gotta we gotta focus in and yeah, we, will, and I th- I we think tend to ramble. If there's anything uh, that uh, that I think we're known for, it's it's being very focused. We have a laser focus. <laughs> And we are to the point we never stray ever ever, and so I think that that's people, what we're known for. Yeah, people people are probably a bit taken aback and surprised when they hear us rambling on on break room, just because they're so used to us being so you know kind of direct and on on point and on brand and on. Message. I've got my bullet points, and I'm going to hit hit each one, and then I'm going to get out. Exactly. I never stick around too long and make things awkward. That's Every never happened. Every episode, we are so focused, and so if you want to hear us get a little bit less focused, uh, yeah, head on over to Patreon.com/slash/TMBCWorkshop. Check out the benefits and the tiers, and see which one feels right for you. Uh, and if if you like the show so much that you want to support us then we will absolutely welcome that um but uh that's it for for all the bill paying that's it for this ad break so let's uh jump on back well, in uh, what about the uh hmm? the ad for whoever wants to you know, submit that one yeah that hmm? that was last episode dog it was yep well see this is the problem with making them and not listening to them um <laughs> We're already done there, bud. We record so many of these things. What do you want from me? There's so many orders. I don't know what the release order is. I'm like, oh, is that still in the future? I thought we're squeezing one in here. Okay, whatever. Yeah, remember that last episode? Never mind. Yeah, you already heard. You already heard the ad for that great comic uh, on this on this last episode. So uh, hope everyone check that out. Uh, But let's let's without further ado get back into uh, my conversation with Z Chung. Of the, the three prong approach to mm-hmm. your guys' business model. Let's talk about creators for a bit. Uh, is is TKO a creator owned publisher or is it a split? Um, it is not creator owned. Okay. Um, we have our creators get essentially we will match Marvel and DC's page rates and then give them a significant part of the back end. Got you know? it. Interesting. Um, okay. So we wanted to take kind of the best of both worlds because obviously right now there's Marvel and DC where you get a 
a page yeah, rate, and then uh, you might have some participation in the back end, yeah. but it's not huge. Yeah, and it's usually, like I know with um, DC, it's like you only get residuals once it goes above 100,000, and then then they get the back sure. end or whatever. But most books, obviously like Batman is the only one that really goes above 100,000, right. so most right, books right. are not necessarily seeing that. Um, and, you know, and then they have participation across, you know, all media. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think part of the draw for people was just that we were doing something new. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? Um, you know, talking about, like, the the agreements. Like, basically, we are doing... And this is... The, I don't know that I've actually even talked about this part mm-hmm. of it, but... Um, it's exclusive for this show. <laughs> <laughs> part of the way that this company was built and the mm-hmm. way that we deal with our creators is we try to be really, really transparent. Got it. Um, one thing that we do is, so I'm, I, you know, I come from a writing background, obviously. And, Absolutely. you know, I, I wrote and directed a movie for Sony and mm-hmm. I get those quarterly statements about yep. like what the back end of those are. And it's like, you know, yeah. nothing, you know, yeah, because there's all these, uh, costs that are taken out before, mm-hmm. um, for our creators, um, we wanted to create a really transparent way of paying them. And so it's not a percentage of profits. Mm. It's a percentage straight off the top. Oh, wow. That way there's no real like question marks in terms of accounting yeah. and overhead. And so it's the gross rather than the net that they're they getting yeah. a percentage of. So there was something about that that essentially... W- so one thing that Sal really taught me was, you know, it's a contract, mm-hmm. Right. But yeah. a contract is really like, it's almost like a philosophy of how you're going to treat your creators. Definitely. And so when I started looking at it, I, it was the first time I really looked at a contract in this way. And, you know, Sal and I, along with our lawyers, like we created that contract ourselves, those agreements, because yeah. I wanted it to be the agreement that I would want to get if I was sitting on the other side of the table. Of course. Of course. Um, so, you know, in terms of... Uh, the the way we treat our creators, yeah, we want to be really transparent. We want to yeah. make sure that they have like a living, you know, wage as a page rate, and then we want them to be provided for on the back end. Got it. And that and that that back end support does that go across the board from from writer, artist, colorist? Right now, it's writer and artist, Got and it. then uh, for the colorist and letterers, we always just try to pay their the upper side of their page of rate. Their page rate. Got um, it. Some colorists obviously command a royalty, yeah, and so we just built that into their page rate. Got it, got it. Interesting, yeah. Um, and in terms of because uh, one thing, one thing with the with the model, right? And especially, I think obviously this is a thing, especially in comics, as we see comics kind of bleeding into other media platforms more and more each year, right? You've got these blockbuster deals for people like Robert Kirkman and Mark Miller. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it would seem, anyway, especially with someone of your background that the business model of TKO would be um, at least partially predicated on on film and multimedia adaptations. Was that something that you guys kind of had in mind going into this? I mean, that's always a part of the business model. Yeah. Um, but for us, um, we, we really wanted to be careful about it. You know, we haven't rushed into licensing any of our media rights. Yeah. And part of it is that I come from that world, so I know that that's always there. Like, every comic book gets optioned. Yeah. For us, we wanted to make sure, first of all, that it's a great comic. You mm-hmm. know, I think that there's a lot of companies out there that are essentially making comics as a loss leader yeah. for media rights. Yeah. And I think you can always tell because you might get a good writer, you might get a great artist, then you might pay a colorist one third of what they're mm-hmm. worth. And then, you, you know, it's, it's, there's, it, it, they're not looking at the comics as yeah. the thing that needs to exist and be pure, you know? Yeah. 
So we really wanted to kind of look at our comics, make sure that they were great comics first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And that meant putting together a great creative team, um, everyone down, you know, writer, artist, colorer, letterer, and just um, essentially paying them uh, enough so that they could spend the adequate amount of time doing their absolute best work. And that was part of, you know, the binge release model is like, oh, you can have somebody do line art over the course of seven, eight weeks. And the colors can really spend the time. They're not getting the pages three days before Mm -hmm. print, four days before print. And I think that kind of um, attention, the ability to have that attention to detail and care across the board really Mm -hmm. shows in the books. From the creator standpoint, mm-hmm. it's like, listen, you know, y- if you're a writer, mm-hmm. you know, don't worry. At every stage of this, we are going to bring you the best person for yeah. this book. We're not just going to go with best available and pay them so little that they're going to rush through it. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Now I've just talked, and I have no, no idea what no, questions you. Yeah, no, you're good. Asking. You're good. Yeah. You're just kind of yeah asking about the the sort of model the, to to touch on the the third prong of your business model is the fans. Um, and obviously talking about, you know, you said people can oftentimes sniff out when a comic is made, uh, you know, just sort of to, to put out an IP that, that's yeah. going to be, you know, uh, uh, used for, for film rights. Uh, what do you think it is or how do you how do you think that TKO differentiates itself from from those other publishers in, in the eyes of the fan? Right. Somebody who doesn't know the backstory of of TKO, what your guys approach is and everything like that, if they just see a TKO book on the shelf. Um, and, and read it. What do you think it is that will really kind of differentiate you guys? So <clears throat> the way that we approach our books mm-hmm. in terms of what we're looking for um, when we <clears throat> talk to creators, mm-hmm. um, obviously we're not doing any superhero work. Yeah. Um, I, I, lo- I personally love superhero comics. Um, that's, what I, that's what got me into comics in the first place, but there's just so much of it out there. And, you know, those are characters that have existed for decades upon decades. Yeah. Um, so we only do new takes on established genres Interesting. and we want to push those genres as far as they can go. Mm-hmm. So something like the fearsome Dr. Fong, um, that is a kind of a subverted take on the yeah. 1920s, like yellow peril, Fu Manchu mm-hmm. yeah. story, but with like an Indiana Jones globe hot trot, trotting adventure. Style. Yeah. Yeah. Good night. Paradise. Uh, I, have read a lot of murder mysteries. I've never seen one um, told from the point of view of a homeless man living in Venice Beach. Yeah, it's a very um, interesting. Like, I, I just I do want to say for both of those books, like the world of um, the the world building of Goodnight Paradise that that Josh and, yeah. and um, I, I don't remember the artist's name. On uh, that. Alberto Ponticelli. Alberto Ponticelli and Julia Brusco did the colors. Cool. Those colors were really good. They're really textured. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't recall like reading a comic that really had such, especially a, a, a quote unquote real world comic that had such thorough world building. It, it really felt, um, in, you know, very engrossing. Well, you know, it's funny when, when Josh first, I had actually heard of the pitch mm-hmm. secondhand. Someone was like, Oh, you should talk to Joshua Dysart. He has this pitch of a yeah. homeless detective. And I was like, what is it? A comedy? Is it, what is, what is it? You know? Yeah. And then I sat down with Josh and sat down in Venice and, he just kind of started telling me about his experiences there. And Mm. Eddie, the main character is kind of based on a guy who he knew, um, Mm -hmm. a homeless guy who like sometimes would sleep between the, in the alley between his house and the next house. And Josh became really good friends with him and kind of 
started seeing Venice through his eyes and spending mm-hmm. time with him. And I think that that level of, um, you know, almost like David Simon-esque like research, yeah. the wire style research into a world and really looking at this homeless man and that community, not as an outsider, but mm-hmm. as, you know, somebody that you identify with yeah. and you're actually looking at this world through his point of view. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was what was really attractive to us. And, and that kind of brings us to the second part of like, yeah. besides being an inventive new take on an established genre, um, we really want the stories to have like, and this is going to be the most highfalutin <laughs> version of this, but mm-hmm. uh, like, a, like a, like a beating heart, like a, mm. like a, a heart in terms of who that character is, um, a way into that world and kind of like a reason for yeah. existing beyond like the entertainment factor of it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's kind of what we look for. Um, and, you know, in terms of the books, like obviously you are, and it's kind of rare for, you know, there's obviously a lot of ongoing monthlies, but like, you know, we, we do our six issue miniseries. Mm-hmm. Um, each one introduces you to a new world um, yeah. and a new, you know, character POV through mm-hmm. that world. I find that kind of like world building really exciting. Like, you know, Sarah, you're meeting the entire squad of those yeah. Soviet female snipers in World War II. Yeah. Each one of those has such a distinct personality and distinct mm-hmm. voice. Very much. Seven Deadly Sins. You know, we worked for a long time with RTM to build the world, but also like the character design of each one of those characters. Yeah. Um, and we're pr- you know we're really proud of the fact that you're dropped into this world for you know 160 to 180 pages and you know really wanting to establish some very diverse worlds and yeah. ways into those. No, uh, and it and it totally comes through. I mean, I, I reading through, I've, I've at the very least read the first issue of all four mm-hmm. series, and I, I do think the quality level is is very high all around. I mean, Thank obviously the, the two books that you did, I, I've really enjoyed, and, and especially um, in Doctor Fung, I really liked the. Uh, the the feel of the book that it that it feels especially the the cover design obviously is a huge part of this yeah. but also you know generally the storytelling like you're saying you're pulling from from a lot of those sort of like the the, the media from that time of the early part of the the last century um, but it felt like such a uh, kind of pulpy story you know that Indiana Jones yeah. element obviously as well um, it felt like it was pulling from so much of that type of media and it was really engrossing kind of reading it that way. And then obviously the story, you know, the, the way that it kind of sets up and, and subverts, like you're saying the the trope that, that it sort of tries to introduce and then yeah. quickly comes around on. Like it's, it's a really, it's really interesting. We story. really tried. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if you noticed, but our, 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 our individual issues and our trade paperbacks are, are printed oversized, mm-hmm. but also, um, the page count is higher. So yeah. we do a, a supersized yeah, 34, first, right? Yeah. There's a supersized first issue. So mm-hmm. it's between 28 and 34 uh, pages. Mm-hmm. And then each subsequent issue is 24 pages. So mm. we really try to pack a lot of story and movement into those, um, into the, in, into each issue. And yeah. I think part of it is also when you know that you have a finite amount of time mm-hmm. um, to tell a story, you know, I think you can really plan out those six issues. And also you don't have to recap, you know, because yeah. you, you know, you, you don't need to remind people of what happened happened. one month earlier every issue doesn't need to reestablish the premise on that first page and yeah uh i I am also curious so obviously each of these stories like you're saying they are self-contained you know there are six issues it's more or less could be looked at as as essentially like you know a three-act structure in each of them um what what was the motive behind making you know stories that weren't ongoings 
Well, I think that there's always the option Mm -hmm. to do a second arc, Mm -hmm. but I think that we really wanted to try to broaden the comic book audience, right? And I think... You know, the binge releasing model really only worked for a finite miniseries mm-hmm. that could potentially spin off into a second arc. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was also because we wanted these series to reach people who maybe didn't think of themselves as comic book fans, but just thought yeah. of themselves as, oh, well, let me, I'm, I'm interested. You know, I really mm-hmm. like artwork. I really like, you know, people who are readers, you know, but who maybe are just want these books, you know, want books that just happen to be like beautifully yeah. illustrated too. Yeah. Um, so that was a lot of the reasoning behind the binge releasing, but also the box set. Got it. You know, the, the fact is that I think it, it's, it's hard for people to, with individual issues who aren't mm-hmm. avid collectors because they don't know where to put them. Yeah. And we wanted to have something that was like, okay, I can, I, I, I'm maybe I, I, I'm really interested in this story. I love the collector's mentality of like having all six issues. Yeah. I don't know where to put them. So we wanted to put, make a little box set for them to go on their shelves. And that is really cool. I, I, I kind of, I found myself wishing that every, uh, publisher offered that. Like I'm, I'm not much of a single issues guy. I'm more mm-hmm. of a trade guy myself. I, I kind of, I want to just get the story, yeah. you know, read the story and then have it on my shelf. Cause I also get off on just like lending out comics to people and trying to spread the gospel in a way, yeah. you know? Um, but I, I really appreciate that. Uh, that you guys have that option where it's like it, you can, it can stand on your shelf and you can still like, if you're a collector, like have that kind yeah. of thing of, of keeping each single issue. Um, one last business question. And then I want to get into your uh, writing process a little bit in kind of our back end. Um, but recently we saw with, um, with Valiant entertainment, uh, Dinesh and, and, and his partners, um, brought Valiant back from the dead, obviously, and kind of launched this, this new wave with actually a couple of the same creators that mm-hmm. you guys have on your, on your first couple waves. Um, and, one thing that the the resurrection of Valiant kind of hinged on was, you know, or at least that they sort of bet the company on was uh, the ability to leverage their properties in other mediums, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they end up, you know, partnering with with a bigger studio and and you know trying to get those those adaptations out the door, and then it didn't end up happening in as timely a manner as as they wanted, and so then right. you see, you know, Dinesh and basically everyone else kind of pushed out of the company and have it take over by another company. Uh, I, I am curious, obviously with you guys, you guys paid, you know, generous page rates. Uh, you know, you're, you're still on the sort of newer end. And so of course you're not going to, you know, at least for a while, you know, obviously fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the first part of it, right. You know, you're probably not going to be getting those same sort of issue sales or, or numbers right. that, that, you know, a DC or a Marvel or even a lot of image books would be getting. Um, so for you guys in terms of longevity, right. Would it, if 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 like Valiant, the multimedia leverage aspect of the the profitability of the company, if that were to not come in a timely manner, would that be a thing that would um, spell doom for the company or, or mean bad things for the company? Right? Like, would that be a thing that would end no? Up, it would not. It, it would not. Um, we're on track right now. Um, we are on track to become profitable on the print side. That's great. Um, and honestly, like that was the goal and that's why we are doing things differently is that we know that with this business model Mm -hmm. we can become profitable on the print side and then everything that is separate from that like the media rights Mm. all those things would just be i mean essentially gravy um you know obviously it would be great to have one of these things turn into a movie or tv show um ideally all of them and then bring readership to the comics themselves of course but you know I, i don't think i don't think that I don't think that you that 
it's healthy for comics to continue to think of comics as the loss leader. And, and we have to figure out a way for comics themselves to grow. To be, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, you know, I'm, it, I, I, it's, it seems like kind of a funny thing to have mm-hmm. to say, but like comics are amazing things and they should have an audience and command, you know, th- those number of eyeballs that will make comics in and yeah. of themselves profitable. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have created a, you know, a business pathway that yeah. will make that happen. Um, and that's also why we are focusing so heavily on the comic books is like, we, the, you know, the, 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 the movie and TV rights thing is like, it's going to happen. Yeah. It's just not the thing that we are, most like focused on right now got it interesting you know? it's good to know um uh, but in terms of you know uh, the, we we are we are privately owned we don't have investors to yeah uh answer to of course um and you know when we make big picture business decisions it's me and sal those yeah. are the only two people who and we can make those decisions really quickly and we are you know i, I think that the long answer is no. I mean, there's no, there's no, there's, I, I don't see a world where this is going away. There's no ticking time bomb, so to speak, no. to use a, a TV writing parlance. Uh, so moving on to, to writing, are you more of a structuralist in the way that you approach story or do you tend to kind of um, be a little bit more of, uh, I guess, like the Stephen King sort of school of writing, right? Where you're kind of exploring along the way and building the track as you run it. Um, Every time I've built a track mm-hmm. before, like while I'm running it, I've like fallen off the track. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wouldn't say that I'm like a structuralist, but I would say that I do think I try to do big picture, Got it. Uh, big picture to smaller picture. Got so um, even as I'm saying that, that's like completely not true. I am, <laughs> I am, I do structure everything pretty heavily yeah. at the outline stage. But what I typically will do. This is getting really inside baseball. I love it. So, I mean, okay, there's, there's okay, a lot of people okay, who are super okay. down for inside baseball on this. So the way that I usually write is yeah. I will, when it's time for me to do a new project, mm-hmm. I'll sit down, um, usually late at night yeah. after doing all the, the rest of my work. Of course. Um, and I'll try to come up with five concepts yeah. um, every day. And I'll do that for as many days as it takes me to get about, you know, between 50 and 100 concepts. Mm-hmm. Then I found that only one of those concepts is actually good and everything else is awful. Yeah. And then I'll write, I'll just expand out. So I'll do a, a one-page document so I can see, like, what is the actual story that I want to tell in the most, like, general way possible. Mm-hmm. Then I'll expand that to four pages. Each one of those is kind of like, you know, if it's, it's essentially like a three-act structure where it's like the first page is act one, mm-hmm. pages two and three are act two and three, yeah. uh, act two, which is usually twice as long as... Yep. First act and third act, and then the last page is um, the the third act. Then from that, um, I'll write like a fourteen page outline, mm. and then I'll turn that fourteen page outline into a screenplay. Interesting. For comic books, it was really different. Yeah. You know, for comics, it was um, the same beginning where I was like, I want to tell the story in these beats, mm-hmm. but then dividing it into six issues, what I found was really wanting to. Um, make sure that each issue had its own feel and mm-hmm. personality. So mm-hmm. in Dr. Fong, you know, there's six issues and Mike and I, my co-writer and I really talked about like 
Issue one, San Francisco. Yeah. Issue two, Shanghai. Issue three, like train yeah. heist, you yeah. know? Um, and just making sure that each one of those issues felt like they were moving the story forward but had its own kind of unique tenor. Yeah. Um, and that was something that was kind of unique to comics. I'd never experienced totally. it before. Yeah. Um, and it was really satisfying to be like, oh, well, let's, like, let's, let's make every one of these issues almost like the concept issue. Yep, I... That's uh, there's a comic I'm writing right now that's kind of the same yeah. thing. It's like a sort of tour of different genres that I that I really enjoy. Yeah. It's like one's sort of a you know an invasion issue, one's a zombie, like one's a, a sort of a heist issue. Like yeah, I, I totally feel you. I mean, the what is the concept question is really like. I actually found so I was on Gotham for three years. We I just finished the third year. Yeah. In the first year, you know, I think I was really struggling on how to write the show. Mm. In the second year, I, I I realized what I was missing, which was. Like at the very onset of like, what is this episode? Like, yeah. it's like, what is the, every episode should almost feel like a concept episode totally. where it's like, oh, this episode is actually from Penguin's point of view. Mm-hmm. And we haven't like seen what his morning routine looks like. Yeah. Um, it's your true North. It's kind of your, yeah. your guiding light while you're figuring it out. And it makes each issue feel different in a, in a nice way, I feel. Yeah. But that's just my, that was just my, my process on it. I yeah. love it. I love it. Did you, so when you're outlining for the comic, uh, do you, did you, as you're, as you're going through the stages, do you end up doing like a, a, a page by page outline before you go into the full script or like what's, how does it differ from your, your screenplay, uh, project outside of yeah. the outlining each individual issue from the sort of more granular perspective? Um, I would write an outline the way that I would for screenplays. Then I would actually, I found it hard. I found it almost, um, hard to write the panel breakdowns and the dialogue and the scene descriptions at the same time. Yeah. So I found that. It was. I know that that like, if you're if you came up as a comic book writer, I think that's a very natural way of doing things. Of course. But for me, it was more like I would write the screenplay, and that I would almost like in the panel breakdown direct the screenplay. Mm. Um, so I tried to, because I you know I'd done storyboarding before for my movies and like that process felt much more natural to me to be like, this is actually what happens in the scene. Mm-hmm. And this is how you tell the story the most effectively using the panel breakdowns. Definitely. Um, and honestly, Sebastian Gurner, our editor in chief, you know, he was so helpful. Cause like, yeah, he was like, Hey, He's a yeah. And he, and he would teach me things like, I remember, I remember the first like notes call where he'd be like, Hey, Z, just so you know, like a person can't break through a window, jump through the window and land on a car in, <laughs> in the same panel. panel. Yeah. I was like, Oh yeah, I guess, I guess that's true. Yeah. The moment to uh, yeah. moment thing, you're like, <laughs> yeah. you forget about how, it works. Yeah. yeah, totally. I that was, you. that was the biggest thing. And that was something that like, I really had, you know, Sebastian had to train me to like, cause you know, you write, you, it's, it's one sentence, but it's like, mm-hmm. Oh my God, that's gonna be three panels. It's a lot of real estate. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. It's, I always, cause I, I, I write both as well. Like I have a feature I'm working on a pilot I'm working on and then three comics and I'm writing yeah. and like every time I go from one to the other i always have to like take a minute to like really you know yeah. like kind of restructure my mind again and like remember like oh this is there I, I shouldn't have as much dialogue in this comic right? right like if i have people like kind of ping pong you know doing sorkin dialogue or whatever right like on the comic page it yeah it tends to fill up a lot of space that, that the art should be capitalizing on you know like and it is it was nice to just see like you know independent film like mm-hmm. you can have like two pages of like literally no dialogue yeah things are just people are just looking at stuff uh-huh. you know and then in TV, TV like it's, it's like you have to like you have to assume that someone is not literally not watching yeah. the images on yep. the television. You yeah. know, I remember there was one time I was writing this one script, and I remember being like, "Oh, so I have to like describe that this person gets a flat tire, then 
the person has to say, oh no, a flat tire. <laughs> I was like, you, yeah. it, it, it can't be any other way because the person might not be looking at the screen. That was like a huge learning thing for me in the TV world where like all the time coming from indie film, like the mm-hmm. showrunners were always like, you know that you can't just have someone look at something and like totally. know that that person's thinking about like mm-hmm. their dead friend, you know, yeah. like it's like, it's just like, and then the comics, it, it was nice to know how much dialogue you could actually strip out mm-hmm. um, just because the images are, totally. I mean, so, so strong. Yeah, I know. I, I, that was the same learning experience for me because I, I, I started in, in school studying film, right? And so the first thing I ever wrote was you know, the first few things I ever wrote were, were screenplays. And yeah, like you go into comics and you're like, oh, like, and even, even in film, obviously I've always been a visual person. And so mm-hmm. it didn't, wasn't as big of a struggle because I hadn't been in like, you know, a writer's room or something yeah. where I kind of have to hammer that into you. But, but it was still a thing of like, oh yeah, like there is a, you know, it's, it's almost better the less dialogue you can have. Whereas in other mediums, it's almost like, you know, the, the, you know, not there's a limit, but like the more kind of back and forth you can have with characters, the more it informs them and kind of, you know, how, how they interact with the world. And you can really put in a lot of actual just character into the way that they speak and stuff like yeah. that. Whereas in comics, it's, it is a lot about just sort of the, even the rhythm of the dialogue and the pacing of it visually and how it guides you through and keeping your thoughts concise. And I thought also one thing that was so interesting about writing comics was when you write a script, you know, mm. um, especially for like a TV show. Yeah. You know, you're writing that script for 400 people. Yeah, it's you sterile know? in a way. Well, it's not so much that it's not so much that it's more for me. It was like it's 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 for so everyone knows there is no, so 400 people know yeah, their jobs. It's it has to be very it has to explain everything. Yeah, whereas like when you're writing a comic, it was like I've never written a script for like literally like one or Just two one people. Yeah. You know, like really the artist. You know, because yeah. both Artyom and. Um, and Dan were very like they really took the reins when it came to working with the colorist. You yeah. Know? So it was like when I was writing that script, I was like, I've never written a script that like is like, hey Dan, just don't forget to do that. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget to make sure that the gun is in his left hand. Yeah. You know, otherwise it's not going to make sense in two more pages. Totally. You know? Yeah. E- even the most like you know even like write a Shane Black script right where he's very much talking to yeah. the reader. It's still not quite so personal. It's yeah. weird and it's quirky and it's fun, but it's not like. Hey, just yeah. this thing. We should probably make sure we do this thing. You know, like yeah. Um, so there's something very like intimate, and nice about that. You know? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, with uh, with your sort of uh, obviously, I mean, you're working a lot with with building a new company, right? Like in a new publisher in this landscape, it's a huge, busy job. Have you taken a break from TV to do this, or are you still working in both worlds? I'm still working in both worlds. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot, but you know, it's, it's listen, when I was building TKO, you know, it was like a lot of, uh, I mean, I worked for, I worked for, I've worked in the writer's room all for those two and a half, three years where, uh, you're in the writer's room from 10 to five, 10 to six. And I'd come home, play with my kids, have dinner and seven to 11, seven to midnight Mm -hmm. every night, you know, just TKO work. And, you know, I, I mean, I think that the, at some point it's going to be hand in hand, you know, yeah. like there's going to be just right now. It's, it's, of course. Uh, yeah, it's, they're, they're two worlds right yeah, now and eventually yeah. hopefully they yeah. converge. No, I feel you. It, it's, it's interesting though. I mean, what's your, I, I guess, I mean, as, as someone myself who does a lot after work, you know, and, mm-hmm. and works on a lot of things, what's your way of, of 
unwinding and balancing in your head? How do you keep yourself like, you know, sane? My wife would say he unwinds by doing more work. <laughs> I know that feeling. I, honestly, it, uh, video games. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the thing that it used to be that, you know, I used to love watching movies, of course. you know, my free time. And then when I really started getting into movies, I was like, just oh, analyze them. it feels a lot like work. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, at least there's TV, you know? And I was like, oh, well, TV seems like work. And now it's like, you know, I could always crack open a comic book and now I'm kind of like, yeah, it feels a little bit like yeah. work right now. So, I mean, uh, video games are, you know, I, I've, I've always loved video games. That's, right. that's a good way to unwind. Yeah. What do you yeah. play right now? I've been playing Red Dead Redemption and like, I suck at it. I can't, I like, I was just, I was just thinking I was, I can't figure out how to ride my horse over to help someone without kicking them to death. Like that's just, <laughs> it happens. I, I get so excited. I'm like, Oh, yeah. there's a mission. I'm going to go talk to that guy. Of course. I forget to get off my horse. I yeah. just, I just, tr- I've trampled, I've trampled hundreds of people. Incredible. Point. I yeah. love it. That, it's, it's funny you say red dead. Cause that, that is actually, it's like the, the aesthetic of red dead and the aesthetic of seven deadly sins mm-hmm. that, you know, feel very, yeah. very similar to me. Was that in your mind at all? Or is it just kind of a thing that bled through and sort of your influences? I mean, I, I think I've always been interested in Westerns okay. and I think it's, you know, part of the, part of wanting to explore a certain genre mm-hmm. is that I think you feel like you have something to bring to it or you want to see something that you haven't seen before. Yeah. So for like fearsome Dr. Fung, like I'd always seen like the yellow peril pulp novels, but I'd never seen it from the point of view of the actual like supposed bad guy, yeah. you know, the yellow peril bad guy. And for seven deadly sins, like I love Westerns, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, um, uh, Blood Meridian is like one of my favorite books and like I, I, there was just a time where I was always reading westerns and I was like I, I feel like there's something missing from the POV you know I yeah. want to try to do a book that has you know a team you know has that kind of like real genre like you know suicide squad type yeah. team Love it. but at the same time I want it to be a way to talk about all the stories that you haven't necessarily seen in westerns yeah that's interesting. I I, uh, I like that, and I, I do. I love the the team of Seven Deadly Sins, like because they're so. I think this comes from from you know TV writing and that type of thing, where you're always trying to create a a good. Obviously, you know you have a good story engine, but you really have to have those character dynamics that can always give you interesting uh, bouncing. And that's like every dynamic in Seven Deadly Sins feels yeah. like it's very unique and it's full of tension and and also you know kind of like some form of respect and like. And so it's, there's a lot of conflict in there, you know, I mean, well, I think that one of the things, um, for seven deadly sins, the, the point where I felt like I really understood what story I was telling was, mm-hmm. you know, these are all bad guys. Right. Um, yeah. and I found that it didn't matter how bad I made them because they lived in a world where the value system was upside down and it was such mm-hmm. like an evil world mm-hmm. that comparatively actually like the worst they were. It, it, against an evil system, mm-hmm. they were actually they were they were the good guys. So I felt it was really fun to actually push them that far. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, it feels like sometimes in in creative projects, I mean, there's there's always uh, you know sometimes there's stories that 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 come out somewhat effortlessly and and really what they require is editing. You know, mm-hmm. and then there's some stories that that it kind of feels like you really have to. Um, earn the outline in a way, right? Like when you're really trying to hone it in and get the structure that there's sort of a big hurdle that you end up having to jump to, to make it work. Uh, with these two comics with seven deadly sins and with fearsome Dr. Fong, what was the biggest creative hurdle for you in, in figuring out the stories on both or was there one? Um, I think for seven deadly sins, 
the hardest thing is, you know, there's, there's eight characters on the journey, you know, mm-hmm. there's seven, the seven deadly sins and then yeah. grace. And it's, um, being able to service all those characters mm-hmm. in every issue, of course. um, was really difficult. And so wanting to just make sure that characters were always in conflict with each other, mm-hmm. that when they were arguing with each other, they really, it was really defining who those characters were. And also, um, making sure that each issue had a real POV. So the first two issues are from, you know, even though it jumps around a lot, like it's, those are really Antonio's issues and yeah. issues three and four are Maylene's five and six are Jericho's. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a nice, like you said, like true North. Um, Fears from Dr. Fun was just hard. It was just, it was just, really? it was just, it was just a hard story. You know, um, we wanted to give people a lot of like, Entertainment for you know, and it's and that meant moving the story every issue. So finding a new locale, mm-hmm. you know, pushing the story forward, thinking of set pieces, making yeah. sure those set pieces were really about the characters. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it was just a lot of. It didn't come effortlessly. It, it was a lot of like, okay, like we really, we want to make sure people are like really having fun. Yeah, you know, with each one of these issues. Totally. And what was what was the best way for you to really um, to find that fun? Again, I think it was whose issue is it? Got it. And how does a set piece of the issue elucidate you know their character or their character's progression? Interesting. So it's like you know there's a train set piece, mm-hmm. but um, and very early on, you know, I had sold a I had sold an action script to a studio early on, and. Um, I wrote the script and I, you know, again, being totally transparent, like I don't think the script was very good and I couldn't figure out why. Yeah. I was like, it's a, it's like an action packed story, all these set pieces, mm-hmm. what's wrong with it? And then I was like, Oh, none of the set pieces, the set pieces are all like quote unquote cool, but they're not about the character. And it, if it doesn't bring to light something about a character or, uh, if that set piece does not, build to a choice that character has to make the set piece is completely dead it doesn't matter how cool it is or what gadgets or whatever or what cool backdrop it's against Mm -hmm. people all people care about are like the characters and the journey that they're going through yeah absolutely i i uh i love it um just just a a last few quick questions for you i know we're we're getting close on on time for you so i don't want to keep you too long um but these are all kind of quick hits uh a, I'm curious. You talked about you know when you first got into comics, you really wanted to draw. You showed your portfolio to Frank Miller, people like that. Uh, do you still draw at all? Um, I for the last movie I did, um, Cold Comes the Night, which is a Brian Cranston thriller. Mm-hmm. I painted the posters for the movie, okay. um, but you know I I would love to have more time to paint. Yeah. Um, I just haven't done it for a long time. Um, I drew some a few years ago. I drew some. Uh, drawings for filmmaker magazine um their end of the year roundup but you know it's 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 a hard thing to to juggle absolutely Um, but i will say so and there's there were like little seeds of wanting to get back into comics for for i think a few years before i actually got back into comics Yeah, yeah and one of the things was um jenny lee who's an editor um Uh both like a comic book editor and a film editor who um she edited one of my short films and um this one we're all living in Brooklyn and we were editing in her apartment and her husband is, um, Cliff Chang. Oh shit. And, um, I went into this apartment and we're editing there and like the shelves are filled with comics Mm -hmm. 
And I just looked out and I looked at Cliff and he was just like drawing and listening to the Smiths. And I was like, this is literally the life that I wanted (laughs) (laughs) when I was, you know, 12 or 13. I was like, I was, it was just like this like transcendental moment where I was like staring at him from behind. I was like, oh my God, like this is, this is what, this was like the dream when I was a kid. Yeah. Wow. That's. And Cliff's an incredible artist, yeah, too. I is. watched one video. Um, his, like, art agent has this YouTube channel that they put a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. on. And there's this video of him just, like, going through, like, a big spread cover yeah. and, and his whole process. I'm, like, amazed by it. Because he's so precise with his life. Yeah. You know? um, what, so, so, last couple questions. Uh, what is it that, that you go to now to... Obviously, video games are kind of your escape. What inspires you now? How do you refill your sort of inspiration tank these days? I mean... On the company side, mm-hmm. you know, it's still those three guiding principles, yeah. you know, like what's good for the fans, mm-hmm. what's good for creators and what's good for comics. Yeah. I think, you know, when we were working on the books, you know, a lot of it was, ba- it was focused on like, what's good for creators, you know, yeah. how do we make these books something that they're super, super proud of, of um, both in just the quality of the books themselves, the printing, mm-hmm. everything. And now that the books are in the world, like it mm-hmm. really is about like, what's good for the fans. Yeah. And also like, I think that we're at this point where I am seeing, I mean, it's been incredible watching like, um, both fans and comic book shops embrace what we're doing. Yeah. And that is really inspiring because, um, you never know, you know, it was, it was a couple of years of really putting this together and, mm-hmm. and there was a limited number of people we could really ask without it going wide. So, yeah. you know, we did our sample testing and, you know, talking to vendors, comic book shops, Mm -hmm. but what inspires me is like, I want this to succeed so that comic books, comic book art can benefit from it. Hell yeah. Um, you talked about at the beginning of the interview that, that, uh, you experienced kind of the two hardest weeks of your life, uh, getting (laughs) into this and then you continue to experience the two hardest weeks going forward for two years. When those books came out and, and in this last six weeks, uh, has there been any reprieve from that? Has there, has it, has it started to, yeah, absolutely. Because it's like, it's one thing to be like doing this in a vacuum Mm -hmm. and like, (laughs) honestly, like, you know, talking to Sebastian, our editor in chief, and you're like, I'm like, uh, you know, this is, I promise you this will exist someday, you know? Um, and it's different now in that, like the books are out there, you know, the fans are, embracing the books like comic shops are selling out of the books Mm -hmm. and it doesn't feel the same as just grinding and just praying that you know the reception is going to be good it's like we just have to keep up this momentum and you know i think um it always feels better when you're doing something and the people Mm -hmm. someone's like hey you're doing pretty good you know as opposed to like you're just in the mm-hmm. silent vortex of your uh-huh. office, you know, has there been, has there been a, a signature moment or a stand apart moment that to you felt like just that, that it sort of just let some of the pressure out that like, you were like, Oh man, this, this feels good just to see since, since the books went out in the world, yeah. was there a big moment for that to start, start to you or is it all, there's a lot of little ones and yeah. there's some big ones, you know, I think that when we put the, you know, we essentially, we knew that we were going to be like, we we're going to launch with e-commerce and then bring the stores in. Yeah. But the fact that, you know, I, the website was done at like noon and I was mm-hmm. like, all right, we can't, we, you know, we can't wait anymore. Sal and I talked about it. We're like, let's, let's announce the company. Yeah. And I wrote that thread on Twitter at like, 
you know, 2 p.m. Mm-hmm. and just seeing people start to react to it. That yeah. was like, it was really gratifying because, you know, you never know if your message is going to be accepted, you know, and we, we certainly didn't uh, have any safety net and that we're like yeah. literally talking directly to, uh, you know, our audience without like any news filter or whatever. Yeah. Um, that was really gratifying. And the fact that mainstream news outlets were, you know, picked us up was really gratifying. Like the fact that the New York times contacted us and yeah. did an article about us, Hollywood reporter, bleeding cool. Um, but like all that stuff is, that stuff is about the company and about what we want to do. I think the moment where million year picnic, mm-hmm. which was my comic book store growing up, oh, okay. you know, um, posted a photo of, of our books in yeah. their store. That's incredible. That was the moment where I was like, this is for on a personal level, this is really unbelievable because yeah. I spent so many years in that comic book store being a fan, wanting to be a creator mm-hmm. and just seeing them up there. It was like, it, that was a real trip. Yeah. yeah. All came full circle. Yeah. Uh, so as we wrap up here, uh, let everyone know where, where can they find TKO and where can they find yep. you on social media? Um, on social, on our website is TKO mm-hmm. Um, all of our books are available there. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also, you know, the first issues are all available to read for free. Awesome. Um, we're in a lot of local comic book shops. Mm-hmm. If we're not, um, have them email sales at TKO And, okay. you know, again, we'll do a great deal with them. 50% yeah. off. Uh, retail price and we pay for free shipping nice. um, across all socials. We're at TKO presents nice. um, and I am at the Z Chun uh, on awesome. Instagram and Twitter. So T H E T Z E C H U N. Hell yeah. And, yeah. The, and if anyone's confused yeah. on how to spell it, just look at the episode title. Yeah. It's right there, but there was another Z Chun. So I had to, I had oh, to put had the, to do the Z. Chun. Yeah. So now, now it seems like you kind of, there's a little ego check. There yeah, I know. I know. Like, it's really because I was, I was, too slow to grab the <laughs> handle. I was like, oh, this Instagram thing's never going to take off. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty, that was uh, that was an interview with Z Chun. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to Z for uh, for taking the time out to talk. He's very busy with uh, writing on a hit TV show and also running a a hot new comic book publisher and writing two comics. Uh, and so I, I appreciate him taking the time out of his uh, very busy schedule to uh, to sit down and chat with me. Um, you can uh, you can find Z Chun on uh, Twitter and Instagram at the Z Chun. You can see how his name is spelled in this episode. Um, I think we even mentioned that in the interview. Uh, but uh, Kent, it's time for the recommended resource this week, uh, and and I've I've got it here ready. Do you know what it is? No, no. I, I was going to give one, but what do you got? <laughs> you were going to give one as if. Come on, Kent. That's why we have that <laughs> Google Doc that says what we're going to do. Okay. Uh, it's uh, it's Wally Woods' twenty-two panels that always work. Uh, and then he uh, paraphrases it by saying, or some interesting ways to get some variety into those boring panels where some dumb writer has a bunch of lame characters sitting around and talking for page after page. Um, it's, a, it's a good old... I mean, back in the day, man, the, the titles used to actually be that long for, for being serious, so it's, it's funny to see him do that. That's great. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Um, 
Wally Wood, uh, you you may or may not know of him. He is a legendary artist. He defined the look of of Daredevil. Uh, he was one of the the pioneering artists at EC Comics, um, as well as uh, on Mad Magazine and and all sorts of other stuff. I think he is one of the you know if I, if I were to make like a Mount Rushmore of of cartoonists and comic book artists, you know he's he's probably in that top ten. Like I think he goes up there with people like Alex Toth. It's a big Kirby. Mount Rushmore. It's a, very it's a large, huge one. I was thinking four, like four people. I'm like, well, fuck ten. Okay. Yeah, four people. Yeah, no, I'm going up to ten. There's there. I can't. I couldn't do four. I don't know who I would put on the on four people. I just it's yeah. It's not. It's that's too small. Yeah. It's, it's so many people in my top five hundred comic book artists that I really really enjoy and learn a lot from. Wally Woods definitely up there. There you go. Um, <laughs> Uh, but no, he's, tight. we're we're very good at being concise here. Exactly. Um, Wally Wood is is again just a very very he was a very skilled cartoonist and and one of the best comic book artists of his generation. Um, and he has this thing that uh, professional comic book artists, you know, you'll hear a lot of people cite this that they have this above their desk um, whenever they're working on comics because it is just a very very useful uh, tool for reference. Um, if you Google Wally Wood twenty two panels, you'll find it. Um, and it basically just shows a bunch of, you know, sort of like little suggestions for the types of shots that you can put in, um, you know, to sort of like, you know, dense dialogue scenes or whatever, just to make things more more visually interesting. Uh, and there there's a lot of really good ones. You can even see, like I know, like Mike Oming uh, put sort of like a, a cover of this, if you will, where he uh, did his own sort of interpretations or versions of all these shots. Um, nice. And so it's cool. It's a really interesting study. And, and I definitely, in terms of practice, I would definitely recommend sort of you know, doing a bunch of these types of shots and kind of mixing with the variety of, of how to present these shots. Cause he's not saying, Hey, here's, you know, a bunch of shots and you just do them like this. And that's, you know, that's what you need to do. It's more like, Hey, here's, here's the type of shot, you know, sort of do it in your own way. And, you know, each one of these kind of has its own sort of context or whatever. Um, and so it's, it's really cool. Just different ways of showing contrast and, and kind of framing, you know, through little interesting things, um, different sides of a friggin' window or like using silhouettes or, you know, uh, you know, sort of showing an exterior shot in the middle, or you know, zooming in on like a hand pointing at something, like the various different things, or close-ups on the face, extreme close-ups on eyes. Like, there's some, there's just really good suggestions in here, and I think it's it's a really handy thing. I keep it above my drawing board, um, just because. Yeah, I need to print I'm, this out too. I'm like, why don't I have this printed out? I think this is absolutely one of the best resources we're ever going to give on the show because it's just like a double page spread but not even that like you you could just look at it on your phone yeah uh, and it's it's that easy to look at and be like oh, okay yeah, yeah yeah and just be inspired by it and you have so many different examples inside this one posting that he uh-huh. did how old how old is this oh i mean this this is i mean god this is probably like 30 40 years old uh you know it's been still works man it yeah. still works. It's just been passed around for for years and years and years and years. And exactly, it, it does still work. I mean, it's any of these shots you will in, in in the best comics that that you read, you will find them littered with these shots. I mean, Watchmen, for instance, is absolutely packed with these kind of shots. Um, I you know because it, it it is just a way to make dialogue scenes way more interesting. Um, oh my he, god, he even describes what the shot is in the bubbles that he's writing. I was just looking yeah. at the figures and the bubble placement, and I'm like, oh my god. He, l- he even labels them. This is such a clean document, and it's really just it's just a one image of yeah. 22 panels. And uh, if you want to check it out and you can, uh, want another place to check it out, it is our second oldest post on Instagram. There you go. Exactly. And it, it is... It's funny, like there, there are there are a few little like random like words in here that like cartoonists today still don't know what the fuck he means by them. Uh, uh, like there's in in the middle, 
uh, middle row, far right side, in someone's uh, word balloon, it just says D-I-A-G-R. No one knows what that means. Um, you know, like, in some of them are yeah, really I'm like, easy. I can't, I can't decipher that. Yeah. Uh, some of them are really easy where it's like, you know, L-shaped silhouette, and, but he abbreviates down silhouette. Shot. Um, cast shadows yeah one of them's like profile and then no bg and you're like okay yeah that's no background um you know stuff like that but then some of them you'll just like re you'll like see these words and you're like what the freak does that mean um if anyone has any suggestions for what they think diagr means i mean i want to say diagram but that doesn't make sense in the context given the of context that doesn't make sense at all yeah zero percent so it's weird no anyway uh, that's great that's a great resource yeah well done sir and so, yeah, those are those are the twenty two panels. Uh, throw them up on your drawing board uh, uh, and uh, take a look at them whenever you're you're struggling through a dialogue scene or just trying to figure out an interesting way to frame something, and it will help you out. Um, uh, anyway, yeah, uh, Kent, uh, let's 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 thank the uh, the great musician that uh, opens and closes each episode of our show. You've probably heard him before. It's Sean Rosner. He does a great job with the music here. You can check out his album "Burn Away Defy the Night." I love that album to death, and I've listened to it a million times. You can check out his music at and his Instagram at rosner.art.music. Uh, go check it out. He's great. Absolutely. And we want to remind our uh, listeners to rate and review our show on iTunes. You've heard the last few weeks. We've, we've been getting a steady drip of, uh, of new reviews in, and it's really helped our show. Um, the more reviews and ratings we get, uh, the, the more eyes we get, ears we get on our show. Um, and so if you, uh, head on over to iTunes or, or the Apple podcast app or whatever you're using to, uh, to, to listen to our show, uh, make sure you give a rating. And if you write a review, then we will shout you out on the show. Um, typically we only check iTunes. So if you leave a written review on Stitcher or, you know, Spotify or whatever other app you use, um, make sure you, uh, let us know that you left it and we'll, uh, we'll shout you out as well. Um, and uh, if you have any friends that you think will enjoy the show, uh, make sure you uh, share that on, on social media or tell that friend about it. You know, word of mouth is is the easiest way. It's, it's big. It's bigger than you think. It's Yeah, you're just one person, but if that's one of those, I don't want to say like if everybody's doing it, but that's that's really what it is. And we've gotten a lot of people that were being like, oh, my friend recommended this to me. I'm like, oh, thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. That's no, great because I think we all, you know, at least a lot of us, like if we're if we're making comics, if we're in the trenches, chances are we've ended up talking to at least a couple of other people that we've sort of formed friendships with that are also doing that. You know, I mean, whether it's online or in person or whatever, um, you know, we cartoonists just tend to develop sort of a community with each other. Um, and so if you've got any friends that you think uh, would enjoy listening to this show, you know, while they're working or just in general, um, make sure you, uh, you let them know or, or, or share it on your social media, however you'd like to sort of spread the good word and, uh, you know, to grow our community and, and bring in more creators trying to, to improve their craft. Um, last thing we've got to do is uh, let's, let's shout out our uh, patrons uh, who, who have been supporting this show each and every month. Uh, making sure the the ship stays afloat and that uh, the 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 patches over the the holes <laughs> are are raining solid. What am I saying? As concise as ever, Jason. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's uh, our our first uh, first patron. Want to shout out the longest uh, longest running patron of this show uh, is Melody Mew. Thank you so much, Melody, for your support. Uh, Kent, who's our next patron? Me, uh, Jordan Southoff. Is that? Jordan Southoff, thank, thank you so, you so much, much for your support on the show. Uh, we also want to thank uh, Pat Scott for his support for the show. Thank and you. Uh, Sharks with Jobs Comics Group, thank you so much. Love your name. Hell yeah, uh, and hell thank yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, we're always looking for new supporters, and 
You, you heard of those uh, benefits, awesome benefits in the ad break earlier. So, yeah, go check it out. Uh, it's, uh, Patreon's a lot of fun. Absolutely. So those are all four of the uh, the patrons that uh, are at the uh, the credits tier. There's there's other great patrons out there that are uh, supporting the show and keeping us afloat, and we want to thank them as well. Uh, if you would like to be one of those patrons, go ahead and head on over to patreon.com slash Workshop, and you can help keep the show afloat. Kent, where can the good people find you on social media? On social media, the best place is uh, at Ken Heidelman on Instagram. That's really the the best one. Uh, Jason, what about you? Uh, they can find me at Jason Halftones on Instagram and on Twitter. Uh, uh, I changed my username because, as Kent pointed out, my old username seemed like it might be a little racially charged, and I didn't want to send the wrong message. So uh, now it's new. Sorry, it's, man. It's I mean, I, get, I know you, and I get the, like, it's just no. a joke, but it... it yeah, man. You, for now, you, I think you it's know, the best you, change. You pointed out a thing that I had like only slightly thought of before, and I was like, you know what? Yeah, that probably sends the wrong message, so I changed it. Uh, although, however, if anyone was like searching for me on uh, for my old username from previous episodes, they probably found a little page that redirected to my new account. So that's easy enough. Um, yeah, and you know what? Uh, you know, change is a part of life. Change is a part of life, Kent. Uh, it's it's uh, but the illusion of change is part of storytelling, and so as as much as I might have changed my username, I haven't really changed at all as a person. Um, and that is the message that you want to keep forward and 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 stick in your mind forever is that no one ever changes and they only seem like it. Great, great message right? to just send us off with. I appreciate it, Jason. Yeah, you're, I think you're that really was... good at inspiring the listeners to make comics. This yeah, is great. and also for any new <laughs> listeners, just FYI, my old username wasn't crazy. It wasn't like a wild thing my old username was just a white kid uh so no don't get any yeah. weird ideas that it was like a super hateful like <laughs> crazy thing no. um anyway uh that has been the show for this uh for this week um let's uh let's kick this one off into the ocean by hearing why zichan loves comics i mean i love comics because they were the way that i learned to tell stories mm-hmm. um and i don't know that i would be a storyteller without comics and they've always been my first love, and I am constantly amazed in comics. You know, yeah. looking at the work that other creators are doing, and just the creative energy of comics in general. How many worlds have been built with just a few people behind yeah. them? It's not like film and TV where there's a dozen department heads and hundreds of crew. It's mm-hmm. it's the creative vision of a few people you know that are and they're building these worlds and these characters that have persisted for decades upon decades Mm -hmm. um and i just think they're really fun Be cool.com. You never know.